anyone in that when I come to a conference like this, when I break away to be with the Lord, go to retreat, go to, you know, hear somebody speak about the Bible, speak, you know, about our relationship with Jesus, whether it's with marriage or anything else, I always want to come with a humble heart. Um, God tells us specifically in his word in, uh, in James 4, verse 6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So there's definitely something that allows God to do work in our life, to speak to us, to minister to us, to help us when we approach him with humility, when we understand we need his help, basically. It's like a way of inviting him in to, to help you. It's something that's critical to look to God to help you. And um, if I'm not careful, you know, I can kind of come to something like this and just not even think I need help. You know, maybe some of your guys' marriages are excellent, and I hope that's the case. But just like we're works in progress until the day we're with Jesus, our marriages are always works in progress. And I don't want to ever settle in my relationship with God. I always want everything he wants. And so he's constantly wanting to change us so that our marriages, in addition to all the other things in our life, can be better, can be what blessed like that's his intent you know he says in his word that marriage is a good thing and so that's for all of us you know and and like i said whether you're coming here and you're just like yeah i just love my my spouse my marriage is great it can still be better and jesus is the one that helps that or maybe you're on the other end end of the spectrum where you're coming here and things are really hard and you're you're hoping that the lord really does help and, and minister to you here and I would say even in that case, we want to make sure we're humble because we can make the mistake of thinking like, okay, well, it's not really my fault. It's my spouse's fault. And that's not really humility, like to, to kind of think it's somebody else because at the end of the day, marriage involves two people and it takes two to tango. It takes two to make it good. Actually, it takes three, two, two people with Jesus at the center of them. And so we just want to approach God with that right heart. I've seen over the last week during the week of prayer and fasting and just even last night, seek night, some people humble themselves before God and God respond in powerful ways. And I've seen that over and over in my life. And I even think of um, a couple at our leadership retreat over the summer that just humbled themselves before their brothers and sisters. And they were in a really, really bad spot in their marriage, but they asked for help and God immediately responded to that humility by tearing down walls and renewing their marriage like quickly. And so I just say that to encourage you that even if you feel like your marriage is broken beyond repair, if you're willing to humble yourself before God and actually let him in to help, he can repair that and make it exactly what he wants, something good and beautiful and blessed. Amen? So as we're here tonight and we get to hear uh, a couple share with us, from the word of God, from their own experience, how God's taught them in their life. Let's just be those that approach the Lord with humility, ready to hear what the Holy Spirit has to say to us. Amen? Amen. Well, I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we're going to worship, and then we'll get going. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you so much for bringing these people here. And we know that's not by accident, Lord. We prayed pretty much all year like for this in advance that one of those prayers was you'd bring the right people, the people that you want here. And so in your sovereignty, Lord, we're, we're here. We, we all made it. And I know for some of us that was harder than others, but I, I, I know that you know that we all made the right choice in coming here. 
And just as we saw even last week, Lord, when we draw near to you, you draw near to us. And we just ask that you would do that as a couple. Just draw near to us in this place and speak to us, Lord, in what we need to hear from you. So we commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All of our days for all the good things you've done in our lives, starting with our salvation. And one of those good things is the marriage you've, the spouses you've united us with as one, Lord. We praise you for that. And Lord, again, just even as, as I was saying at the beginning, Lord, uh, we, our spouses deserve the, the best us that we can give them. And the longer we're married, the longer we follow you, the more we realize that we can't produce that best us, that apart from you, we can't do anything. We can't be the husband or the, the wife that you desire without your heart or your help. And so that's, that's why we're here. We realize we need your help. And we're just here desperate, desperately looking for you to, to speak to us and help us be those spouses that you intend us to be so that we can experience all of the blessing you intended our marriages. So Lord, be with us in this time. Be with Don and Susan as they share the word, they share the, the things you've taught them with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys can be seated or grab snacks really quick. It's your choice. Um, I'm just going to do a short introduction to Don and Susan. Um, if you guys weren't there at Seek Night last night, I introduced them a little bit, but um, Don and Susan have been uh, friends of ours since um, around 2002-ish, I think. So before I moved up to Southern or mo moved up to Astoria, I lived down. My wife and I lived down in Southern Oregon. That's where we grew up, and the church we were a part of down there. Don was a associate pastor and uh, a very big spiritual mentor and influence in my life. And they were instantly one of those families that you just click with. And like we became like friends. And when we were early on in our marriage, they were kind of in a marriage that were like, man, we want to follow Jesus like these people. We want to have a marriage like them. So we just kind of hung around them, hoping to glean some stuff. And we, even when we moved up here, we've stayed lifelong friends with them, stayed in touch since. So um, I'm really excited to have them share with you guys. So. I'm going to invite Don and Susan up here to share. Mine's working just fine. That's great. <laughs> so. <laughs> so we have some door prizes. We have a coffee company. This really isn't. Um... <laughs> I don't even know that guy. He walked. He walked by me earlier and he said, "Just don't screw up." I <laughs> really. That is that kind of brotherly love you can count on. So we have a coffee. It's working now. <laughs> Um, it could be. I. It was working. 
Test one, two. Okay. So you really you you you're not at a marriage conference. You're at a, a coffee sales pitch. We're looking for 20 families to give five thousand dollars to help with our coffee company. Um, but actually, we do have some coffee to give away, and so I have uh, a question. Uh, anyone in here come tonight with a Pittsburgh Steelers purse? Oh. Praise God. Do, do, you, do you like light roast or medium roast? Medium roast? Okay. Just, I don't even, I'm not even sure how that happened. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's beautiful when uh, things like that work out. Just uh, in God's providence, right? <laughs> So we are actually also looking for some help with an issue in our marriage that we've been struggling with, with uh, for, well, as long as it has been an issue for Susan. Um, <laughs> it's this whole when, so texting, I don't know how it goes in your marriage, but texting in our marriage is, is, goes a little bit like this. Uh, a, Susan sends me a text. It's like long. And, and I am so appreciative of it, for sure. And I respond back with a thumbs up. And I'm wondering if anyone here has any advice on what a better response might be. Two thumbs. Two thumbs. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. This is, a this is a church event. This is a church event, yeah. Yeah, and so we have come up, we live in Arizona. I have a mic. I cannot respond right now. Oh. I'm working on it. <laughs> it's fine. I think it's going great. <laughs> are there any of the women that appreciate the same feelings that arise inside of me when they receive the thumbs up image back? Thank you. Bless you. Bless you, my sisters. I put a lot of effort into my words and emojis and exclamation points, and I need a little love back. He's like, like, no, no. So we, a heart, yeah, that's, good. that's a good idea. Didn't work. Didn't work. Tried it. Didn't work. So we, we came up with w words, some words. I'm not really comfortable with that. Uh, <laughs> so we came up, we live, uh, we moved in 2021 to Peoria, Arizona, where there are a lot of cactus. And so I send a saguaro cactus back. Just the saguaro cactus emoji. Praise yeah. Jesus. Yeah. You see that saguaro? It's a lot there. Do you guys know what a saguaro is? It's like the big round cactus and they have arms that look like this. So Don says it's his two thumbs up, but it's because I love them. So it seems to work. I appreciate, I guess. I guess I appreciate that it's not another <clears throat> option yeah. that you could send back to me. All right, this is going great so far. Anything? How are we doing? How are we doing? So, all kidding aside, though, as we get started, why marriage? Like, why did 
why did God institute marriage? Just got like to have a little interaction and to bribe you, if you get the answer correct, you get a bag of coffee. So they'll motivate you to speak. We import our beans directly from Northern Thailand. They're all single source and we are looking for some investors. <laughs> what are some reasons why scripture gives us for marriage, why God instituted marriage? Yes. It's not good for a man to be alone. Do you like medium or light roast? Light roast. <laughs> well, I've I've got a lot of light roast left. <laughs> yeah, companionship, right? Uh, I I love that about God. It, it's like He keeps making things, and it's good, and it's good, and it's good, and He's like, you know what? It's not good for man to be alone. I want to give him a, a helper. I want to give him a partner, uh, and I just love that. Uh, someone who can walk alongside in partnership, uh, can de deal with, at that point, what would have been very, very good things, right? Like this was before sin, this was before death, this was before all of that brokenness, and there still was this wonderful connection between man and woman, and I love that. A any other reasons? Yeah, but we're not going to go there yet. So it's, you've done well, Pastor. Yeah, like it is a picture. It is a picture of Christ in the church, and you're going to get a bag of coffee in a second. But we're going to go to that the third because, like, that's my third point. Um, <laughs> what's another? What's another one? Yes. What? Do you? Light or medium? I would have preferred procreation. I feel like that's more appropriate. We all know it's not about the sex. So are you going to give him coffee? Yeah. yeah yes. Yes, and that was part of God's plan you, even before the fall and that wonderful structure. I love the picture of the Trinity within the creation of man and woman, right? Different roles, same value, different jobs, different responsibilities, same worth. And I love that. So that actually wasn't one of the ones that I put down exactly, but I can give you some <laughs> light roast. <laughs> I've got, do you, you love, you look like a light roast gal. Yeah. Oh, okay. And then lastly, okay. Yeah. I, I think one of the most incredible things that marriage does is pictures, pictures Christ in the church. Um, especially <laughs> with this idea from Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I, I, I love that picture, that picture of service. And, and really, the everything after the fall got really tough for marriages. Got really tough for marriages. Uh, immediately after creation, Satan went right after the first married couple. Uh, 
And that family got rough quickly after the fall. And you, you, many of us have had loss and struggle and difficulties in our families. And I think about that first mom and dad dealing with the fact that one of their sons murdered their other son. Death and destruction and difficulty and hardship. And yet, <laughs> because of Christ's example, Christian marriages can demonstrate the gospel when we forgive one another, when we love one another, when we serve one another, even when, and this is important, even when our spouse doesn't deserve it. Because we get that from Christ. In Romans 5.8, God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still broken, still in rebellion, Christ died for us. And it's beautiful when a Christian marriage can model the, those pictures of forgiveness, service, love. Um, and so, yeah, so great job on that. Let's, uh, let's wrap things up and close in prayer. <laughs> well, I just want to take a minute and just kind of introduce us and our family and really just let you know that I know you thought you were coming for a marriage conference, but we're actually not going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about your own personal walk with Jesus because that really is the most critical piece in your life and in your marriage. And so I think that's what Don and I, just as we've prayed over the last many months of what God would have us to share, and it really is the anchor of your own personal life and how that flows out of your own life into your marriage. But it really is um, a very personal thing that has to take place with Christ at the center of your life. And one of the things that we want to talk about is how do you secure your relationship with Jesus so that when the difficulties or the struggles of life come, that you're prepared for them? Because they come. They come to all of us. Um, scripture is very clear that in this world you will have trouble. And we know that, right? We have families, we have spouses, we have children. We all came in here today with a story to share. And they look a little bit different, but we all understand um, that in this life we will have trouble. So how do we secure our own self and secure our marriages for when the difficult things come? So Don and I um, also want to let you know we're not marriage experts, but we are a little bit experienced in marriage. And... Um, we have been married 31 years. Um, we started dating when I was 16, and Don was 19. We went high school. It was a dating. different time. <laughs> <laughs> Just, I don't, I don't need it from you. It was a different time. <laughs> Yes. So we were high school sweethearts, and Don proposed the day after I graduated high school. Don proposed, and we were married just after, um, yeah, just after high school. So 31 years this year. Um, we have four kids, um, 26, 23, 20, and 19. And we just really want to let you, give you just a picture of our life starting in 2020. Um, we won't give you the whole story, but um, Don was in pastoral ministry for almost 25 years. Um, we served 13 years in Oregon, um, and then the rest of the time in a small mountain town in Colorado. And most of you, when I say the word 2020, what is the first thing you think about? 
COVID. It changed all of our lives. So we had been in ministry um, for almost 25 years. COVID hit. It was a difficult time on a lot of church families, especially pastors and their families, as their everything they knew got radically altered. Don and I were just weary of life. We were weary in ministry. We'd been 11 years in a small mountain town. We lived in a fishbowl. Um, everybody knew our business. They knew all of our kids' business. We would get phone calls. Did you know your son was speeding on the freeway? Or did you know so-and-so did something in school? And so we were like free open targets for everybody's everything. Um, we, we should tell the story about Parker and his interaction oh, with a high school uh, Yes, one of football the, coach. the football coach. Yeah, mm. so our son Parker uh, was uh, driving home. Yeah and uh, was kind of in a road, road rage incident with one uh, uh, with the high school football coach. And um, fingers were exchanged, not the thumbs up fingers, <laughs> and not by the high school football coach, a really solid believing man, but uh, by our son. By the pastor's kid. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and uh, so uh, later on, you got a call. I got a call from his wife who explains the situation. And they just wanted to take Parker out to a coffee and just talk about what happened. And it actually turned out a really sweet um, exchange just in talking about, like even he admitted, the man admitted that he was at fault as well. They ended up coming to our church. <laughs> so, hey, you know. It's an interesting it, recruitment yeah. tool. Uh, yes. Our teenage son said, hey, that's like a middle finger ministry. And we're like, no, 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 no. Mm -mm. no. no. <laughs> mm. So at that point in 2020, um, four kids... Our oldest son was married. He was young in his marriage. They were struggling. Um, my widow mom was living with us. Um, our son Parker, our second born, was home from college um, because all the college kids had to come home at COVID. He couldn't go back. Um, we just were experiencing ministry fatigue, I think. And one of the things that when we realized that in a small town, and you may relate, we had one Walmart that we had to go to, and when Don and I began running down back aisles when we saw somebody from church, so we didn't have to engage, we recognized that maybe we were just weary of that season. Like, you shouldn't be hiding from your church family, right? Like, that's probably not a good idea. Um, and then our son, Parker, who had um, made it through part of his freshman year of college, um, was attending Moody Bible Institute. He came home and he was just really struggling with life and poor choices and poor, just poor everything. And um, August, end of July, early August of 2020, we took a family vacation um, down to the Phoenix, Arizona area to, um, with Parker and our two youngest kids. Um, around the early part of August, on a Sunday, our oldest son called to tell us that him and his wife were separating. Um, he was moving to Seattle. She was staying in Washington, D.C. So that was just really heavy on us. Um, young marriage, and it's like disintegrating. And three days later, um, our son Parker had an accident in the pool in the house that we were vacationing at. And we lost our son, Parker, 19 very strong, active, wanted to be a missionary and serve in Thailand. That's our connection. Um, August 5th changed our lives. Um, it was the massive thing that obliterated. Um, it was like a bomb blew up in our family. Um, happened in front of us. 
Sean did CPR. We had our two other children, 16 and 15, um, with us. We um, returned to Colorado, um, where Don was pastoring, without our son. And Don's, we had a few months off, and then Don returned um, to pastoring in Colorado. Just knowing that um, that's, I mean, we just were trying to take the next step forward. But it was clear pretty quickly that um, we needed some time to just breathe and rest. And so Don resigned. Um, from pastoral ministry, and in 21, we moved to Phoenix, Arizona, just to um, take some time off, just to kind of rest, and Don was really committed to two years' time to just ask God what he had next for us, whether that was a return to pastoral ministry or had something else um, for us. So um, we had been doing a little side hustle at the time, selling stuff on eBay. So we would like go thrift our garage sale and resell. So that's what we did. So 25 years in pastoral ministry, and then now we're like selling crap on eBay. Like no joke. <laughs> like, like no joke. Like, uh, like um, weird underwear things or... You know, I don't know, like we could tell you some pretty crazy stories of things we've sold on eBay and you go, hmm, this is an interesting turn of our life. Like who would have thought, right? Like this is not where I thought I was gonna be at 30 years of marriage, right? That is, it just isn't. And then we started buying storage units like um, storage wars, right? So we're like those people, no joke, for reals. And then we're sifting through other people's lives and nasty, like, and then we're like, right on, this is worth like 50 bucks, you know? And like, we're digging through people's trash and ready to sell it on Facebook Marketplace or eBay. And then we have garage sales too. So this is a pretty significant change of your life, right? So that's what we have been doing in Arizona. And then, you know, that we lost our son, but we also lost our dreams, like, we didn't know how to dream anymore. We didn't know how to exist. Our kids didn't know how to exist um, anymore. And um, just about a year ago, um, well, a year ago, we went to Thailand and spent the whole month of January in Thailand praying and asking God to show us what he had next because we felt we, he was leading us to partner with our missionary friends. Because Parker wanted to start a middle finger ministry in Thailand. <laughs> in Thailand. Yeah. No, Parker did feel drawn. He had been yeah. to Thailand three times and felt drawn. And February 22nd last year, our 19-year-old daughter um, jumped out her window, got an Uber, and got on a plane to South Carolina to be with a boy she met on TikTok. It is every parent's worst nightmare when you're talking to the human trafficking task force and they send you pictures of girls to say, is this your daughter? And I think I had a massive realization that that's not my daughter, but that's somebody's daughter. Um, and so our daughter was gone for five months um, in a very disgusting, nasty situation. Um, and she came home in July and it's been a struggle. Um, our oldest son, Nick, um, did end up divorcing also in 2021. So we lost a son and a daughter-in-law within six months. And my mom lives with us full-time and she has dementia. So we have a few things in our life 
And so that's why we can say we may not be marriage experts, but we've had some marriage experience. And what it looks like when a lot of difficult things entertain or enter your marriage, like how do we maintain it? I will also say if you ever sign up to um, speak at a marriage retreat that you can be 100% certain that Satan is going to do everything he possibly can to destroy your marriage because this, after 31 years, this has been the hardest year of our marriage. Um, with no questions asked, even after 2020, when we thought it would have been the hardest, this was the hardest year of our marriage. Yeah, do you want to add to that? Boy, yeah, I mean, so one of the things we wanted to talk about tonight is what do you do when the massive thing happens? Um, I, because of a, we live in a broken world, and some of you know this, some of you are sitting here tonight going, the massive thing has happened. And my marriage is strained. Um, some of you are going, I now am not sure I ever want to get married. Those of you who are single, you're like, I I'm out. I won't, you won't see me in the morning. Um, some of you are going, things have been pretty good. And, and that's what we would have said uh, before 2020. I, I think we have a picture of our family. Um, we can put up here on the screen. That's uh, our son, Nick, uh, next to me, Samantha, our daughter, our son, Isaac, our son, Parker. And um, yes, our family looks very different now. And families can look very different very quickly. We have lots of pictures with a daughter-in-law who is no longer in our lives that, that we loved, and we still love her. And so what do you do to prepare for the massive thing, or what do you do to to get through the massive thing and not, not just survive, but, but live and, and want to live again. And there were days after all of this happened where we didn't really want to keep living, if I'm completely honest. And yet, I can say now, on the, uh, kind of on the other side of it, not that it's over or it's finished or grief ever really goes away, is that... I can do what that song says that we just sang, that I can praise him in the lowest valley, that God is good, that God is faithful. Because um, I've said some things to God that I never thought I would say. I've had some moments of anger with God, and he still loves me. He still cares for me. I'm still one of his kids. And he can take it. And he is good. If, if you have your Bible, open to, to Psalms 1. I just want to take a, take a few moments and just look at what the psalmist says. It really, I, I, as I read this now, uh, on the other side of our massive thing or our massive things, I recognize that this passage for me was something that was preparing me for when things got hard. It starts out, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. And this is where I think we really become anchored in verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. The most important thing 
for your, the, for your life as a Christian, married or single, is that you are in God's word. Is that the truth of God's word is saturating your mind and your heart daily. If you are relying on your wonderful pastor to feed you, and you're just getting fed on Sunday, he's, you have a very, very special and talented pastor. I think you know that. But if you're relying on him just once a week to feed you, you're starving and you are spiritually anemic. The word of God needs to be in your daily life. You, you need to be anchored by it. You need to think about it, meditate on it. So important. Yeah, I want to say for so many years as a young married wife and a believer, I was faithful in my devotions. I was faithful in my time with the Lord and seeking older women in my life that encouraged me and challenged me in my walk with Christ. And I knew every Christian cliche. I mean, I was a pastor's wife. I knew all of the easy things that you say. I said them to people. And yet I remained faithful to the truth of God. And when the big thing happened, it was the only thing that held me up. It's the only thing that held me up was, and I would say to any young wife or young mom, when they talk to me like, how are you even standing up? And I'm like, theology matters. I don't know why that was the phrase that just captured me, but I would say theology matters. It really matters what you believe. It really matters what you anchor your life on because when the world blows up in your life, that is all you have. You have the truth of scripture. I could go to it over and over and over and see testimonies of God's faithfulness. And when I was in my darkest moments in the depths of my closet, I had the word of God. Like there was nobody else around me. Don had to, it was back at work, but I anchored my life in the word of God. And I know that's the only reason I'm still standing today. You know, and one of the things that I thought was interesting was we would have peaks and valleys, there would be a time where I would be stronger and, and that strength would encourage you and then, and vice versa. And it was, it was almost like the spirit of God was, was giving us each an encourager because then there, there would be another week where I, I'm like, literally, I can't, I can't go on. And Susan would have strength and then vice versa. And that, that is a gift, a real gift of a Christian spouse. Um, yeah. So goes on in verse three of Psalm one. And, and these aren't, this isn't a new passage, I'm sure, to, to most of you. But it is so basic and so foundational. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water. Why? Because he's in the word. The roots are deep. And the fruit is going to come in its season. Doesn't mean that it's going to be just like blowing out fruit all the time, every moment. There are going to be seasons of, of drought and, and seasons of difficulty. But because that root is deep, and I, I think that the psalmist is, is referencing the Judean wilderness, which is basically different shades of brown. It is just, and there's this tree out there. And you drive along near the Dead Sea, and it is like just, well, it's dead and there is this tree out in a wash called an acacia tree. And it's alive. 
Now, it doesn't look like the trees in Washington and Oregon, right? It's just kind of a little less brown than everything around it, but it's alive. And when those waters come, its taproot is deep. And even when the water isn't seen by anybody, that acacia tree is drawing in that goodness. And it never withers. And I think there's a powerful image in that. And then verse 4, the wicked are not so, but are life chaff that the wind drives away. And of course, is referencing the psalmist is referencing the threshing floor uh, of the wheat harvest when the heavy uh, kernels of grain stay and, and have use and have value and are, are planted. But, but when the chaff is thrown into the air, whichever way the circumstances of life are blowing, that's where it's going to end up. Of course, Jesus in one of his parables says that the chaff actually ultimately gets burned up. And honestly, the, the way to survive the massive thing, to, to have a healthy marriage, to, to, to run the race well all the way to the end that God has for you, is that you have some weight to you. You have some substance to you. That God's word is real and it's alive. And, it, and, and when God says he is good, and you look at what has happened, and you go, that doesn't seem good. You can still trust him. You know? And that's where, like Susan was saying, theology matters. And, and we, we've always, we would always have said we have a real robust um, theology of suffering. Um, and and I, I don't really know that that was true. Because I don't know that you can until you really suffer. But you can prepare. And you can sing songs that are robust. And you can read passages that are robust. And you can listen to preachers that are robust. The, the other example that I, that I want to talk about is the person by the name of Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph was, of course, again, a story that you are all very familiar with. Um, he had some issues with his brothers. And they didn't like his bragging, you know. I'm not sure he handled that right. I'm not sure dad handled that right. But he ended up in a well. <laughs> and it didn't go good for Joseph. And his, his really nice Patagonia jacket got messed up. <laughs> and he ended up a slave in Egypt. And, and the story, I believe, is an actual true story. Because I believe God's word is true and real. <laughs> and... and and lo and behold, I mean, he just goes to Egypt and he ends up head of one of the most influential homes in the entire kingdom, Potiphar's house. When Potiphar's wife had an issue, she needed a marriage conference. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe on a topic that we're not going to talk about this weekend, but she needed that marriage conference and she had some issues. and. She had some issues with touching and looking, and Joseph was a very quick runner. And Potiphar's wife had an issue with honesty, and Joseph was just a Jewish slave, and so he ended up in prison. When Joseph went to Potiphar's house, 
Potiphar's house was blessed because God was with Joseph. When Joseph went to prison, prison became blessed because God was with Joseph. And ultimately, you know how the story goes. He, he becomes second in, in charge of all of Egypt. And God uses him to save millions from famine and ultimately bring his people, the children of Israel, under that protection. And this man, who had every right to be bitter and angry and wonder, God, what are you doing? What right do you have? This, the injustice. How many of us would have pouted and complained? I don't, I don't know that I would have gone to Potiphar's house and been like, I'm going to be the best slave that this house has ever seen. <laughs> I, I don't think that would have been my attitude. I'd have been like, you, God, you, you don't love me. How could you let this happen? What are you doing? Well, we know the story. It's so nice when we know the story, when the story ends, and you can read it, and you're like, wow, that was just been... If I was Potiphar and I went to prison, I would have really... You think I was pouting at Potiphar's house. I would have been pouting in prison. But that wasn't Joseph. And in that beautiful moment that is so rich. I believe it's one of the most, most powerful and rich theological passages in all of Scripture when Joseph says to his brothers, what some meant for bad, God meant for good. I cannot see the death of my son as good. I can't go there, but I can see God as good. And I can trust him. I don't like it, but I can trust him. Someday in heaven, we'll know. We'll know the why behind it. We may never get an answer, and I, I, I think it's pretty safe to say that there really isn't a satisfactory answer on earth. But what to us looks bad, what to us looks awful, God meant for good. And that's hard, because you probably each can, can sit there and go, this happened to me. How can a good God allow it? This happened to someone I love. How can a good God allow it? That's theology. That's real. That's alive. That's sustaining when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I want to just put up this quote from uh, just a, a dead guy. All the good quotes are from dead guys. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just throw humor out there every once in a while and just apologize. But it's a, it's, it's a quote that was shared with me several times by, by different people over, over the last several years. And it's by a, a man by the name of William Culper, and it's from a hymn that he wrote. You know, we're just going to trust God's providence here that, <laughs> so maybe as best you can, however it is that, that you focus, um, just hear these words. It says, judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Behind a frowning providence, 
how many times I have looked at what has happened and seen a frowning God. The assurance of scripture, the assurance of this beautiful hymn written so many years ago is that there is a smiling face of God behind it. What looks so bad, I'm going to use for good. One of the things that, um, as we just talk about what it looks like to stay anchored um, personally in your walk with Jesus and relying on truth, the word of God, and theology, one of the things that I think we never really understood, even in pastoral ministry, I think we, were, we grew up in the church, both you and I were raised in Christian families, and we never understood what lament was. Um, until we lost our son. And I didn't then know what lament was. And maybe that's a new word, although it's in scripture. Lamentations is that word lament. And we don't often talk about it. Um, one third of all the Psalms are lament Psalms. And I learned um, what lament is. And so... <clears throat> well, I was a pastor for 25 years and I never taught on it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and I, I was, I was really lacking in that area of my own, just my own teaching and knowledge. And part of it is you don't know what you don't know, right? Like people say things to us and they just don't know. And that's okay. You give grace when you don't know what you don't know. And we didn't fully understand what that looked like. And um so I want to just share a little bit of what lament looks like. Um, and I would just challenge you to think about this because I think it's a, it's a critical piece of every believer's life, whether you've already experienced it or you will experience it at some point. So lament is how you live between the poles of a hard life and trusting in God's sovereignty. So I'm going to say that again. Lament is how you live between the poles of a hard life and trusting in God's sovereignty. So lament is really how we bring our sorrows to God and it's how Christians grieve. And I wanna tell you that the depth of my grief caused me to long for the honest and real struggle, spiritual struggle with the pain. Like I really struggled in that. Um, lament became my life after August 5th, and it became a means of grace um, for my soul. And it drew me into the depths of worship that I have never known in my whole entire life. I didn't even know existed the depth of worship that could happen in the midst of lament. And I think lament is um, that honest cry of your heart um, when you're wrestling with what you have always taught to be true and what now suddenly feels very true. And we all have experienced things in our life that cause us to have a tension with who God is and how he is a good God. And that would be lament. And maybe you didn't even know you were lamenting, but you were wrestling in that tension. And I want to say that to lament is Christian. And his cry is human. 
Every human cries. If you're an atheist, you cry. But if you're a Christian, you lament. It's different. And so I want you to think you to tell I want to tell you there's four parts to lament. And if you look in scripture, if you look in the Psalms, in the lament Psalms, they all follow a very similar pattern. If you look at the book of Lamentations, they follow a pattern. Um, the first one is turn to God. And if you, um, if I'm just gonna, Psalm 77 is a wonderful Psalm of lament. Um, and it starts out, in the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. That is so true. My soul refuses to be comforted. I use the word tormented. I felt tormented in my soul. And it says, when I remember the Lord, I groan. And that first point is turn to God. Turn to him over and over. It doesn't matter what it looks like. Go to him. Don't go to other things. It's so easy to turn to everything. I think um, four years before we lost our son, my best friend lost her husband in a car accident that her 16-year-old son was driving. And she had three kids still at home. So um, I don't know where I was going with that. Just turn... Oh, turning to God and just crying out, um, I kind of lost my train of thought. It's a huge, it's a huge thing um, to just approach God mm. when you're in pain. It says a lot about who you are um, because there's a lot of things that um, you can turn to. Mm. In, That's what I was going to yeah. say. Yeah, thank you. Yep. Um, Treva, my friend, would always say, I will not roll over. I will not roll over. And I heard her say that as a young widow with three kids at home. And what she meant when she said that is, I'm not going to let the enemy have a foothold. I'm not going to turn to drugs. I'm not going to turn to alcohol. I'm not going to turn to this or to that. And I am going to guarantee you one thing. You absolutely, a million percent, want to turn to all of it. I, I have a joke with our dear friends. Um, We'll go out and they'll have a glass of wine. And I never grew up drinking alcohol, but I will have like this much in my glass. And they always make fun of me. This is current. They make fun of me. And I'm like, I don't want any more than this because I'm going to become an alcoholic. And they laugh out loud at me. They, they think that's so funny. They're like, ah, oh, Susan, you have to actually drink alcohol to become an alcoholic. And I'm like, exactly. And I'm so fragile. I'm so fragile that I know if I took one step further that made me not feel, I would be an alcoholic in a second flat. And I would, because on the, even the darkest days, I wanted to die so badly. So in that fast, you want to numb all the pain in your life, and it's easy to turn to everything. And so in the Lament Psalms, it's always turning to God and crying out to him. The second point of lament is complain. And I think this is so, so beautiful. And you see this in scripture. We get to complain to God. What does that look like? Your hurts, your anger, your sadness. Take it all to him because he can handle it. He knows. I think um, I said over and over and over, God, you hurt me. 
you hurt me. You hurt me. I just kept saying it over and over. Um, I got a punching bag, and I put it in my garage, and I had a foam bat. And I would go in my garage, and I would hit that punching bag with the bat over and over in my garage, wailing and complaining to God. Because he can handle it. He's big enough. And I was still going to him, right? Like, I turned to him, and I cried out to him. I complained. I think one of the things that um, we talk about is if we biblically complain, right? So I think there's a difference. When we biblically complain, it does reorient our heart because we're remembering who God is, even in our complaining. Um, So you have to come with your pain and not your pride because there's a difference in how we complain to the Lord. And you can't stop at step two when it says complain. It's just a part of the process that moves you along in lament. So turn to God, complain. The third point is ask. Ask for his help. And I remember I was lamenting in my journals before I knew what I was doing. Um, Someone actually gave us a book on lament, and it was these four steps. And I told Donna, I said, for a year I've been lamenting, and I didn't even know the words. But I think because my life was anchored in the word of God, this felt like what I was doing was the thing. I went to the Lord. I cried out to him in my frustration, and I asked him for help. And there were days that all I could say was, help me, help me. Just help me for five minutes. Just help me. That's all I could say. And he does. He just meets us. He meets us when we are cry out to him and just help me. Um, and it doesn't matter what road you've walked in your life or in your marriage, wherever you are, God loves it when we just can come to him and ask for his help. And one of the things that was so, um, I did pretty good at first, and then I tanked pretty hard. And, you know, when I think sometimes when we see the passage in Genesis, you know, and it, it the value of a helpmate, you know, we, we, maybe even we read that as like almost pejorative, oh, just give me a helper. And I, and I think, wow, give me a helper. What a helper God gave me. Because I, I, I shut down, and I was like, I wasn't turning to God, and I was just hiding from the voices, the, the trauma, all that, that was there, the flashbacks. And, but I watched my wife just faithfully turn to God, faithfully turn to God. We'll talk a little bit about this tomorrow, uh, but faithfully turn to God and love me not judge me, but love me. Um, and her example, right, like got me back to where I could go from just being the angry guy in the corner to someone who turned to God, complained appropriately, right? Like, I don't know about you, but when, when you hear that word, even in a church center, a church setting, complain to God, sometimes we get like, well, I don't know if that's right, but actually read the Psalms, that, that is in, in, in a beautiful thing about a relationship with our Heavenly Father is that we're his kids. He wants to hear from us. Those of us that have kids, don't you want to hear from your kids? Even if they're being like, I just, I, even if they're complaining or, or, or struggling or you want to know, you want to listen. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting as we, as I was thinking about this, and I'm, and we put this lament into the context of losing our son Parker, 
um, who was just shy of turning 20. But I repeated the process when our 20-year-old daughter or 19-year-old daughter ran away, right? I repeated this lament process that was very difficult when I had no contact. I didn't know where she was or if she was safe. So it doesn't matter what circumstances of life that you're in, this is so helpful. And it, again, it seemed familiar because I had practiced this my walk, my, my Christian life. I had been practicing these things already. And I think that's where we talk about just anchoring your life in the word of God and what that looks like because it's not unfamiliar to you. When a hard thing happens, um, it becomes. So turn to God, complain, ask, and the fourth one is trust. And that one seems like, duh, obviously we're gonna trust him. But saying that you trust God, so it would be so cool, like we all have these really awesome t-shirts, like your t-shirt says spirit and truth, like, you know, I trust God, I trust God, trust God, trust God, it's okay, trust God. I literally could have punched you in the face. I'm not kidding, I had such moments of intense anger when I wanted to throttle somebody to go, that's so fine for you to say sitting in your nice little comfy chair when you just haven't buried a 19-year-old son who wanted to be a missionary in Thailand. Do not tell me to trust God. Like, until you've walked through something, I didn't want to hear it, right? So I can sit here and say, number four, trust God. And some of you are sitting there going, you're an idiot. I can't trust God with anything. I can't trust him with my life. But what trust looks like is repeating this process again and again and again and tomorrow and the next day and the next day after that. Because here's what I'll tell you, I have three kids whose lives were obliterated the day Parker went to heaven. So what we thought our life was gonna look like at 31 years of marriage, pastoral ministry, what God has in our future. Our kids are, my son is married. One's going to college to be a missionary and I have three kids struggling in their faith. Right now, three of them. So lament is a part of my marriage. We do it together. It's a part of my walk with Jesus to keep turning to God and keep trusting him and quoting scripture over and over again. I write scripture, I read scripture, I journal scripture, I run with note cards in my hand so I can memorize scripture because that's where trust begins. Trust begins when we stay in the word. And we, you have to be intentional. There's a thousand things that call your name that take your attention, but you will never ever regret the time that you invest um, in the word of God and just trusting him with tomorrow. Yeah. And we become a little bit morbid, you know? It's sort of like, we call it the difference between optimism and hope. Optimism is like, oh, everything's gonna be fine. And we're like, until it's not. That's where we think, right? Like, no, it's actually not all gonna be fine. And hope is that it will be fine someday with Jesus. And there's a difference between optimism and hope. So hope, hope is Jesus. Hope is Jesus. Hope is Jesus. <clears throat> yeah. Yes. So as we talk about hope, um, 
a year ago in January, we went to Thailand as a family, the five of us, um, as we began sensing the Lord was leading us in a new direction with our lives. Um, but also Parker's Memorial Fund, um, because when you lose somebody, people want to give money. And so we didn't know immediately, but it, the Lord made it very clear that we um, wanted to our missionary friends in Thailand um, had been wanting to um, purchase a rice field um, that would be a food source for the kids that are educated at this dorm. Um, and so Parker's Memorial Fund went to purchase this piece of land in Thailand um, that we thought was just going to be rice fields. And our missionary friend, so precious, he just like threw this number out there. Like, oh, I think it's about this much money. Well, it was like way less. And he just and we raised all the money, like I think above and beyond, that purchased this land. Um, it's now rice. They raise pigs, chicken, and they put two ponds on it. So it's a primary food source. And they named it Parkerland. Um, we didn't. So last year in January, we took Parker's ashes um, to Thailand, and he's his ashes, his flesh suit <laughs> is buried at Parker Land. So I think we have a picture. I don't know. I don't think he's still at the computer. There's a picture. This is Parker Land. This is rice in the foreground. Um, our missionary friend was there one evening. They were taking care of the pigs. And this was just, a, this is not filtered. And only God does that. Like, only God paints that beauty. Um, but Parker Land for us was new hope. Um, there was something really special when we stepped onto Parker Land for the first time, and uh, it, it was so hard to explain. And I, another dear friend of ours, when we came back, we were trying to like, well, we went to Parker Land and it was so surreal, like we couldn't understand what we were feeling. And he looks at us, he goes, do you think that might have been the Spirit of God? And we're like, yes. Yes, it, of course it's this. We, we grew, of we grew God. up Baptist, so <laughs> That's right. our first go-to wasn't that it could have been the Holy Spirit, right? If you know, we're recovering Baptists. Yeah, I know. If you know, you know. You'll get that if you know what it means to grow up Baptist. <laughs> yes. So there is such a tangible presence of the Holy Spirit um, there at Parker Land, but um, when we went to Thailand. Um, Every day we lived wanting to die. That's where we were at two and a half years in. We just wanted to die. And at the end of our trip, before we were coming home, our precious friends, um, Ryan and Rebecca, they're the missionaries there, they um, so graciously rebuked us and said, that isn't okay. That's not what God has for you to um, always be so fatalistic. Because I'm like, am I going to get bit by a cobra? And if I get bit by a cobra, do I get to die? And they're like, no. And they're like, why? Like, oh, if I just step into the street and get hit by a car, do I get to be with Jesus? Um, that's really where I was so much like wanting to die. Um, and I think we came home from Thailand last year and we were ready to live. And so Parker Land, I think, had a big part in taking us from wanting to die to wanting to live. Yeah. I grew up in uh, southeastern Washington in the Tri-Cities, and uh, there's a lot of uh, grape uh, orchards there. A lot of wine is produced. And I remember um, as a kid riding the school bus home in the fall, and you'd smell those ripe grapes. 
I don't know where you are right now in your life, but I, I kind of thought that that is like one of the best smells and one of the best places you could be. Like, you're just, you're just a wine grape hanging out on the vine. You smell amazing. You're like, people are driving by you going, holy cow, smell that wine grape. You look good. You're plump, but not too plump. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> and things good. Things are good. And then some jerk comes along and rips you off the vine, sticks you in a container, and squishes you and utterly messes up everything you think is how it's supposed to be. In Israel, there's a garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. It's, uh, the word Gethsemane means to crush. It's the, the wine press or the olive press. And there is a, a tearing and a breaking down and a destruction that has to happen before you get new wine, before you get that beautiful olive oil. And we know as Christians that that is an incredible picture of Jesus. And so the hope that we have, the new hope as we've walked through the valley of shadow of death, is really not a new hope at all. It's the hope of Jesus. Uh, Christmas of 2021, I was about to get up and lead communion in our church in Colorado. And uh, our oldest son was sitting next to me and singing songs about the sacrifice of Jesus, about the blood of Christ, about the new wine. Um, he leaned over to me right before I'm going to get up and talk about communion. And he said, Dad, God gave his son willingly. And I'm like, why would you say that to me right before I have to get up and talk? How powerful are those words from my son? I would not give my son willingly. I would not want to see him ripped from the vine and crushed and bruised for our iniquities, as Isaiah 53 says. 1 John 4.10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the, my favorite Christian Bible word, propitiation for our sins. And it's a big, scary word. It means covering. It means covering. It is all the way back to Old Testament. Because when God looked down into the tabernacle, when God looked down into the temple, at the law in the Ark of the Covenant, no one was good enough. And the priest would go in once a year and take the blood of that precious lamb and sprinkle it on the seat, on the propitiation seat, on the covering, because the blood of the Lamb of God covers. I really struggled with whether God loved me or not when, when Parker went to heaven. 
That was a really hard thing for me. And we started going to this sweet little inner city church. And they had communion every week. And I really needed communion every week. I needed to be reminded that I am loved. I am loved so much. You are loved so much that God would willingly give his son for you and for me. Pastor Chris. Thank you, guys. I'm going to have Stephen come back up here and lead worship. And um, how I think we're going to end the evening tonight is um, we want to have a response time. But since you guys came here with your spouses, I mean, most of us at least, um, I wanted to have a response time where it's just between you guys. And so we have communion elements back on the snack table. They're not meant to be snacks, so <laughs> refrain from taking more than one of each. But on each side there, there's communion elements. Are you guys going to hand them out? Or, uh, all right, those guys will hand them out. One will come this way, one will come the other way. Grab the communion elements, and just during these songs, what I encourage you to do is take some time to uh, remember the sacrifice of Jesus with your spouse. And, and just take turns. Maybe when you pray for the, the bread that represents his body, the other pray for the, the juice that represents his blood that atoned for our sins. But pray together. Maybe there's some other things you want to pray in there. Maybe you needed that reminder tonight that God loved you. Maybe you needed the reminder that God's good. Maybe you're kind of in that place of going through that hard, and you just needed to see an example of somebody that's, going through that as well and still able to proclaim that God loves them and God's good. And you guys just need to do that together. Or maybe one of you needs to be the, the stronger one tonight that's encouraging the other. Whatever it is, you know, let the Holy Spirit lead you guys, though, and just praying together, rejoicing in the cross and what that means for you. And and also just kind of approaching God in, in, in where you guys are at in your marriage. You know, that, that's where I'd really encourage. If you guys need to confess something, if you need to pray, you know, like communion is the opportunity to come before the Lord if there, we know there's sin in our lives and confess it and remind ourselves that Jesus paid the price for that, you know, and that not only are we forgiven of it, but we're freed from the power of sin. Like we can overcome it with God's help, and that's a time to come to God and ask for help. Just as, as Susan was sharing, as part of that lament, like being honest with God, maybe... You need to be vocal with God and, and then get to that point of, Lord, help me with this. Whatever it means, this is just going to be a time for you and your spouse to go to God together, to rejoice in the cross, be honest and open with him, and pray as you feel led. And then uh, we'll keep worshiping and, and we'll end when it seems like it's time to end. Just found myself, Lord, just listening to them share and thinking that I, I, I don't share in the same exact hard things that they've gone through, but my wife and I have our own set of difficulties and hard that we've faced, just like everyone in this room, and how when you're going through something that feels that way, it always feels like the hardest thing, Lord. And so just those things that they shared, the things that you taught them, how valuable they are for us to to listen and, and glean and, and learn from because 
you've brought two together and made us one, so what affects one of us affects the other. And what we go through, we go through together. And so we want to take these things away and and just bring them before you and, and understand what, what they mean for us so we can go through life together well. We can go through life together the way that you want us to. Unified as one, not divided, not separately trying to work things out, but working out things together, going through those things with you at the center. And maybe we aren't in that place of lamenting right now, but we know, Lord, surely because of the world we live in, it's, it's not too far away. There's going to be an opportunity. There's going to be something. And so whether we're going through it now and we needed to hear that and, and, and have those words resonate with us so we can practice those things in our lives now or whether it's something you're just preparing us for in the future so we're ready, may we just hear what your Holy Spirit is saying to us and take that away even now as we as we break for the evening, as we fellowship with other people, as we go back to our rooms or we go home, just talking about these things together. What is it that you've said to us? What is it we took away? What is it that we needed to hear? And may your spirit just do that unique work that only you can do where you minister to us, not only individually, but together as a husband and wife that you've joined together. So we commit this evening to you. Thank you, Lord, for meeting us, and we're ready. Just prepare our hearts for what it is you have to say to us tomorrow. And all God's people said, amen. 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 You guys are dismissed.